well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, joined by our illustrious panel, Rob Washam, Andrew Feist, Chris Jones, John Somsky, and the great Jim Reed. Uh, thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. Uh, this is episode 176, and today we're going to be chatting with Zach Elwood, uh, a name that most of you are familiar with, reading poker tells, verbal poker tells, exploiting poker tells, all kinds of poker tells stuff. Uh, before we get into that, just a quick reminder, uh, go to rec.poker slash resources. It's really your one-stop shop for all of our partnerships, all of our discounts we have going, uh, amazing uh, content providers that are out there. So check those out. Specifically, uh, one thing we have going right now, uh, check out the red chip poker stuff they got going. You get one month or one week free of core uh, from Red Chip Poker. If you go to Red Chip Poker slash Rec Poker, use the code Rec Poker, uh, and you get some free stuff out there. So check that out. Go to the resources page to get all the information. So with all of that introduction, uh, welcome in Zach Elwood. Hey, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Now, it's been a while since we've had you on. I look back, we had you on episode 32, back when this was just a boy in a dream. And now here we are, 144 episodes later, and, oh, and we wow. got you in here. So it's been That's too long. So how have you been, man? Oh, good. You know, um, adjusting to the uh, new realities of, of the world. But uh, other than that, feeling feeling pretty good, feeling pretty lucky that it hasn't impacted me too much. All this stuff hasn't impacted uh, me and my wife too much. But uh, yeah, good in general. Okay, so you weren't doing any like large group training sessions or any of that kind of stuff that was... Nothing like that. No, I mean, nothing poker related. I, I also have a, a regular day job too, where I do, um, I work for a software company. And, uh, so obviously that helps be a little bit more diversified. So, um, yeah, but obviously the poker, poker sales are, are, are way down. Yeah. So were you working from home as part of that job before this, or was that a transition for you? No, uh, a little bit at, at home, but it, it was in, in the office too. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a, bit of a transition just to be from home, uh, so much, uh, yeah. Okay. And so we're all sort of wondering, you know, if, if you're sitting there looking at all of us right now, because your, your ability to, of being able to read people, are you, can you look at each one of us and tell us like if we're comfortable or uncomfortable during the quarantine? I mean, how, how far do you take this? <laughs> uh, I don't take it too far. I mean, a lot of people ask me like my thoughts on real world non-poker stuff. And I always, you know, I'm, I'm pretty humble in that regard because I feel like poker is such a unique, you know, area it's such a formalized area with its own rules and i i don't i don't really take it outside of you know i i have i have thoughts like anybody on various you know behavior and verbal stuff but i don't i i i'm pretty humble when it comes to real world stuff yeah okay so you can't look at rob washam right now and tell me what he's thinking uh definitely not <laughs> would you, um, you would you give it a shot uh, <laughs> yeah, it's blank it's, it's, <laughs> that's why he's not picking up on anything I don't even know what I'm thinking half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, well, Zach, I, I hate to even admit this, but uh, you know, I've got all your books. I've read your books. We've given them away. You've been a great partner of ours uh, as Rec Poker was getting going. But I didn't realize that you had started a podcast. Now, I just I hate to admit that. And I, I was looking at your stuff oh, today. I'm like, oh my god, he's got a podcast. People who read people. So tell me a little bit about that new foray for you. Why did you do it? Are you enjoying it? What's kind of the thoughts around that? Yeah, I'd like to do more of that. So a little bit about that. It's I guess I've been doing it for a year and a half or so now, but um, basically it's general psychology and behavior, mostly, you know, focused on behavior. It's 
interviewing people from different walks of life, different professions about how they read uh, behavior and interpret psychology and their, you know, lines of work and pastimes. Uh, so I've had, any, I've had people that are psychology researchers on there. I've had people that are, you know, kind of criminal and judicial interrogation and interview experts. Uh, I've had a range of people. I had a rock, paper, scissors, you know, I champion on there uh, talking about playing rock, paper, scissors and reading people. Uh, so I, I thought it was an interesting thing. I was looking for an idea. I'd wanted to do a podcast for a while and I wanted to do something that kind of maps to my psychology interests and also obviously the poker uh, reading poker tells, but I wanted to open it up to a broader discussion. And so my role on there is basically just interviewing people and acting like the every man who doesn't know much about these things, because usually I don't know much about what they're talking about, and <laughs> uh, just interviewing them from a behavior perspective and trying to learn something basically like people have said it was educational for, you know, sales and, and, and like, uh, legal stuff too. I've had lawyers say it was educational, uh, listening di how different people read people in different situations. I had a bus driver on there uh, a couple months ago, uh, talking about like reading traffic and, and, uh, pedestrian behavior, you know? Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's fun. I wish I could do it more often. I'm, I'm kind of picky about the interviews I do. So it's, Sometimes it's hard, especially now with people with, with this stuff going on, it's been kind of hard to <laughs> find people uh, to get on there, even though I have more free time now and I'd like to do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Jim, did you have something? Yeah, I, I've loved that. Oh, thanks. I think oh Jim, your audio is freezing up there, Jim. Uh, analysis to look at the, yeah. Sorry? Do you want to mute your, vi mute your video maybe? Your audio is kind of freezing up there. Ah, uh, thanks. The so hopefully this is a little better because the uh, not marriage counselor, but couples analysis and seeing the behavior that successful and failing couples uh, exhibited um, that one. I really, really enjoyed. And, yeah. uh, and I also got a kick out of the rock, paper, scissors one as well. <laughs> yeah. That, the uh, couples uh, relationship one was, was actually my favorite. That was, yeah, that, I, I said that was top of top because it, it, it was stuff you think about, you know, with uh, when you see, you know, it applied to people you meet and also to your own relationships too. I actually like learned some stuff that I applied to, you know, my relationship with my wife. So I was like, that was pretty helpful. And yeah, the rock, paper, scissors, it was interesting. He was a little, he was a little, uh, con art, con artisty, but he was, he still had some <laughs> interesting, uh, some interesting things to say. So as you're, as you're doing them, do you find that you actually are generally in, in every episode learning something? Or do you feel like, you know, this is, you know, people are saying stuff that I know, but they're packaging it in a way that relates, you know, so people can connect with, or you actually feel like, huh, I'm learning oh, stuff as we go. Yeah, for sure. I think I, yeah. I, I definitely learned something every one because, you know, like I said, like poker, even though I feel pretty proficient at poker tells world, it's every, every endeavor is so unique, you know, and, and while there might be a few common things, it's like you, I've definitely learned a lot from the interviews. That's the main reason I enjoy it. It's like, I feel like I'm just learning stuff every time I do it. And like, and even the research for setting up the interview, I feel like I, I, I learned stuff there too. Yeah. Are, are there any like common theme, like breakthrough moments, like where they really got aha moments. So you're, it sounds like you're learning a little bit here on each episode, but have there been any like themes that you pulled out of it that you're like either changing how you, you know, changing a paradigm or challenging a paradigm or any of that kind of stuff? It's hard to say. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, it, nothing's been like that paradigm shifting for me, but it's more like just learning the, 
details of how someone applies something in a specific endeavor. You know, I mean, it's a lot of it's like once you hear it, you're like, oh, that makes complete sense. But yeah. things you wouldn't have thought be like to apply that kind of logic to a very specific situation. You know, I love that. I know Chris had something he wanted to jump in here with too. Yeah, yeah, I, I was. Um, I think we're all kind of stuck at home these days so i've been watching some poker um and i you know i I noticed there was this this uh spot i wanted to talk to you about or ask you about which i think has happened to me a lot when i play as well and i'm trying to figure out um you know what it kind of means um so this is really a specific thing it's kind of when people in more tense spots or tricky spots um use sort of friendly banter and friendly humor uh, in a spot where it doesn't really make much sense, um, and I can get, I can actually explain the situation to you if, if that would be helpful. Sure. But I, I, I'm wondering if you just, in general, what you think of when people are using sort of humor and banter um, at the poker table. Um, yeah. You know what uh, what that's uh, what they're trying to achieve with that. Yeah, I think it. Uh, you know, it's a as a broad question. I, I'd say we we want to break it down into like. Um, better behavior like somebody doing that as someone who's made a big bet and that versus somebody who's waiting to act like somebody who's kind of in the non-aggressor uh, situation and i think they i think they basically have like the opposite um the opposite meaning for for both of those like for example somebody making a big bet who's uh who's willing to you know do things like the speech the the stereotypical speech or or jest and things like that that's going to tend to be strength, you know, in the, in, in the way a lot of people understand it, you know, just being relaxed, being willing to talk. But then if you take that same kind of, um, that same kind of behavior from somebody who's a non-aggressor or even somebody from, from somebody who's not making a big bet, who, but who's making a small bet early in the hand, I think those kind of situations are very different. And I, and I tend to actually think those are the opposite, meaning like somebody, somebody's weak just because, for example, somebody early in a hand, even if they're betting, uh, if they're betting a strong hand, they won't want to talk and draw attention to themselves. They're usually more like cagey and then don't want to scare people away. And then you have the non-aggressor on the river, for example, who, you know, usually any talking from a non-aggressor is going to make make weakness more likely just because somebody who's laying a trap and checking uh, or calling with a strong hand tends to not draw attention to themselves too. So I think it it's it's important to like think about the category of uh, mm-hmm. situation it's in. Uh, but, it, but it's interesting too, when you talk about somebody who's like trying hard to seem relaxed, I think there's definitely room even for somebody making a big bet. Uh, you know, if, if you think it's unusual for them to want to see, want to portray relaxation, you know, like uh, sometimes that can clue you in that, that, that make you think that a, a bluff is more likely because you know, is this, would this person really be trying to say X and try to seem so relaxed if they were actually, if they actually had a strong hand? Because, you know, usually people with strong hands might tend to do more like kind of nervous behaviors or, you know, so there's room, I think there's still room, even if we can generally say somebody, somebody speaking a lot when they're, when they're betting, uh, making a big bet, even if that tends to skew towards strength, I think there's still room for being like, Hey, would he really say this? Say this if he was relaxed here? Would he really right. want to try to seem so relaxed? 
And I, I guess the and the specific spot I'm kind of thinking of is um, usually a river spot. Usually a, somebody has made a big bet and it's the person reacting to that big bet, uh. sort of talking to the to the player. And maybe I've been in that position where I've made a big bet and they're talking to me like, oh, hey, well, you know, it's it's this very friendly banter and they're trying to, to get some level of information out of me to sort of understand my, I guess my comfort level or, Mm -hmm. or, and what, what are, what are your, what's your advice for somebody who's sitting in that situation, whether we're bluffing or we've got value um, for how we react to those sort of like bantery type. Trying to induce something from you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know, as long as Obviously, if you're balanced and never give anything in those spots, you know, no, nobody can get anything from you. But I think the, uh, you know, mo- most people want to kind of do a give and take and, and try to uh, not be completely clamped up in that spot. So, I th- But I think it just, so I think it just uh, depends on how willing you are to uh, give people something in that spot. Because obviously the safe, the safe play, the completely safe play is just to not give anybody anything ever. Uh, but if you are willing, uh, I feel like there are things you can say as long as you are aware of like the major ways you can give information away. Like for example, if one common pattern for someone making a big bet when they have a strong hand is to, you know, downplay the weak, downplay their hand strength, right? Just by being comfortable, comfortable enough to downplay the, their hand strength is an indication that they're pretty relaxed. So that's one example. But if you knew the various ways you might give away your hand strength, uh, then you could be more careful and just say, either say things neutrally, or if you felt like you could manipulate that person, maybe you know twi- twist a common meaning and try to you know uh, manipulate them. Uh, but but I'd say like if you're not comfortable doing those things, the safe bet is always just to not give anything away. But I think that the problem comes even for people who know that. I think the problem comes when they're they're betting say a strong hand and they're just relaxed and they're like, well, if I say something, you know, they're feeling more relaxed and are more willing to play around with people but that in itself you know if you're not balanced with that that in itself is a tell that you're relaxed and i think people give away those kinds of things they're like well you know it doesn't matter in this specific hand because they don't know in this specific hand which is true but it it can become a pattern like if you've clammed up in a bunch of other hands and then you're suddenly like just being really loose it's like um, maybe you're giving something away so you have to be aware of those kinds of things you might be giving away now obviously you can once you know the common patterns you might try to, and you think that other person's a decent player, you might try to, you know, play with their perceptions a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I guess one more follow-up to that. What, what do you think of, I mean, a lot of your work is around sort of reading tells. What do you think of the game of projecting tells either, you know, false, false tells like, is that, is that something that is just, you're getting, you're leveling yourself and you're getting yourself into trouble or is it something that's worth actually exploring? Yeah, I mean, I've written about when are good spots to use false tells. I tend to say, you know, if we're being safe, if we're being, you know, our, our large majority of the time, we shouldn't be dealing with false tells at all because, like you said, it's it can turn to this leveling yourself thing or like leveling, you know, getting in multiple levels where you don't know where you stand, kind of thing with another good player, a decent player. Uh, so, you know, as the standard, I would say don't mess around with those things. And it, but then I have written about, you know times where I think it is a good spot to try to use that stuff. And it's very specific spots where, you know, you don't, uh, the other person is, is a stranger to you yet. You feel that they are decent enough to know the common patterns. 
but they perceive you as maybe on the beginner amateur side. So when those kind of things kind of align, you can be more sure that, uh, you know, you using a, a commonly uh, understood tell behavior uh, might, might uh, manipulate someone else. But, you know, it, like you said, it can easily devolve into like, Oh, I, you know, I'm just leveling myself. And I'm not, I, you know, a lot of times you just don't know how people are going to interpret something. It's like, you might, you might be performing the most commonly understood tell in the world and, and, and your opponent might just, uh, you know, interpret it completely different. You know, it's like, you, you just don't, it's really hard to know what people's perceptions are and what their interpretations are of stuff. You might think you're doing something that, you know, will be perceived as, uh, as strength, but they might see it and, and just use it as an excuse to call. Like I saw you doing this, so I'm going to call. So you're just, you're just kind of playing with these weird, confusing areas. But I, I mean, not to say I, I've definitely, done false tells where I thought it was a good spot. Um, and, and I had recommendations. Yeah. On that. Okay. Great. Thank you. So this is kind of a, a personal question, but maybe there's other people that are dealing with this as well. I, I'm curious, like, I think I'm, I think I'm just a whole big box of tells. I just think I am. I don't have real reason to think that, but I just, I, I think I am. But so here's my deal. So, uh, I enjoy, fun personality at the table. I like to, I don't, hopefully I'm not too annoying, but I like the the banter a little bit, like on that river play. I'll, I think whether I'm strong or weak, I think I'm doing it consistently, but I, for me, I feel like I'm, you know, if I'm just sort of engaging with somebody kind of chatting with them, even in the middle of a hand, I know I could be giving off some tells, but I feel like if I try to do the opposite and just play stoic Steve, like the whole time, I feel like internally, I feel like I'm giving off more tells all the time. Like, I feel like, I feel like those are the spots where I'm like, I'm not sure where I should look. Should I look at the cards? Should I look at them? Should I look down? You know, I feel like just because I'm so uncomfortable, even if I'm strong or weak, I don't know. And so I'm just kind of curious from, as a general rule, like which do you think is a riskier endeavor to try to not give tells by just being yourself, whatever that personality might be all the time, or by trying right. to just be stoic. Cause that's what it seems like the pros are just always perfectly stoic all the time. Right. But I'm worried that there's more risk in giving off tells yeah, when I'm not being myself. Because you you probably feel like you're clouding the waters with your talk and and your yeah you know, by being loose and, and yeah I think there's a I think there's a, a valid point there. It's like I, I don't think there's any you know I definitely and I, and I and I emphasize in the stuff I write and the videos. It's like I my my goal is not to make not not make people completely stoic. It's to it's to make them aware of the main ways they can give information out. Like, for example, like Phil Locke was a really good example of somebody who I think was always talking, but, and, and I found like a lot of patterns on well-known players that I talked about in verbal poker tells that I thought were, you know, solid, pretty solid patterns. But Phil Locke was a good example of somebody who talked and moved around a lot. And I, I never felt like he gave anything away. He was just, I think he was just really cognizant about the psychological element of the game. And he was really good at like talking neutrally and, uh, remaining entertaining while not giving information away. And I totally think that's possible. And so that's why I think it's, it's, it's more just about, you know, it's not necessarily about being completely stoic and completely quiet. It's just about being aware of the common things you can give away. So for example, like if you know about the common things you can give away, that, that would allow you to just loosen up and talk more without having to real think about and be worried about those, those spots where you could, those patterns where you could give information away. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think if provided you you know about those spots, I, I, I think it's unlikely if someone knows about those major spots that they're going to get taken advantage of because, first of all, 
you know, one factor is there's, there's very few people actually like what looking for this stuff or, or, or who, mm. that know what, know what they're looking for. You know, sure. Sure. There's some like experienced professionals who, you know, might've put in work on this, on the tells part of things and, 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 uh, know how to use it. But I'd say that's like a very small percentage of the population when you, you know, even, even amongst pros, like a lot of pros just don't even pay attention to this stuff at all. So when you factor that in, it's like, I think people are actually just too afraid of, you know, giving stuff away when you, when you factor in just how rare it is. And when you, you know, provided you're, you're thinking about, you've thought about the common ways tells can get out. It, it, provided you're doing that, I think people shouldn't be that afraid. I think, I think sometimes even, even I get, you know, uh, can get nervous. Like that's probably, uh, I'm self-conscious too. And it's probably what led me to being interested in tells was, was thinking like, what am I giving away? What am I giving right. away? But I think we're too, you know, I think we beat ourselves up too much about that sometimes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like there's a risk with both. Like either I'm happy go lucky Steve, like you said, and all of a sudden boom, pick up aces when I'm three bet into it. I'm like, oh, you know, now I get really quiet. So I know that's a risk, but there's also a risk. I think when I'm, when I'm just quiet and not myself that I'm going to be giving off more because I'm not myself. And maybe that manifests itself in different ways. If I'm stronger, weak, I, I don't know, but that's, no, that's, that's a, the that's, risk. That's yeah. the risk too. It's like, yeah. When you said, you know, you get aces and you're suddenly quiet because if you're right, if you are being, if you are being chatty and, and being loose, then it's something you have to like consistently keep up too. You know, it's like, that's the other risk of not being stoic, I guess. It's like, you have to, you have to be aware like, well, if you are loose and chatty, then you gotta, you gotta be a bit balanced with that there. or at least, yeah. or at least know how people perceive you, you know, when you're not chatty, it's like, I, I think that that's another thing people do too. I've seen that in some old footage, like the high stakes poker footage where I, I think it's a common pattern for uh, somebody like Sam for Hall to be chatty. And then all of a sudden they'll get a big hand and, and go completely, uh, <laughs> go completely quiet. Uh, uh, or reverse it sometimes because it's based on like what's come before. Like if they played a big hand and were really chatty and then they'll like get a big hand a few minutes later and go completely quiet because in their mind, they're like, well, they all saw me being completely chatty with that big mm. hand before. And now I'll go completely opposite. So, th- you know, people are always trying to play with those perceptions in the game, the flow, the game flow, you know, they're, they're trying to think about what came before. Uh, I think people keep that kind of stuff in mind, but it's just something that some to be aware of like, yeah, people's perceptions, they will try to read into that stuff and be like, well, he wasn't that way before. What can I interpret? <laughs> right. yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. John, did you have something? Well, I was just going to kind of follow up on what you were talking about. I think a lot of where tells come from is it is people's anxiety or insecurities manifesting themselves as they're playing, they have nervous energy or whatever it is. And that is what provokes the tell or they're trying to mask how they feel. So my hypothesis is that as people become more comfortable with the game, they tend to give off fewer tells partially because their level of anxiety is lower. They aren't as attached to the outcome of any given hand because they've played so many hands and they've been beat so many different ways. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, I think so. I, I think, the, but I think there's different, there's different types of tells. It's like, you're, you're, you're talking about one specific one, which is, you know, a, a big one. It's just general um, anxiety and, and uh, you know, which can manifest as like being more still being more frozen up. Then you've got the, 
people that are just more willing to, even if they might be quite comfortable, like they played a lot of poker, they're just more willing to have, uh, they just get looser, uh, when they are, when they are betting a strong hand, like they, so they might have more hand movements or more small micro movements when they're betting a strong hand. And that's not necessarily because they're, uh, I don't think it's because they're just more anxious when they're bluffing. I think it's more just like they're more, it's the opposite side of them just being more relaxed when they're, when they're, uh, value betting. And then I think there are another class of tells which are just related to uh, focus and non-focus. So for example, somebody who's got a strong hand um, pre-flop, uh, like say they have aces or, you know, set on the flop or something. Uh, there's a tendency to, to not draw attention to themselves and to be kind of cagey and that could kind of manifest as, you know, uh, more still kind of behaviors and quiet behaviors uh, versus like somebody who's three betting with a, a weak hand and um, kind of know they don't have much law. They know, they know they might just give it up um, easily on the flop or something. And so they're not as mentally focused. Um, so I think there's these kind of like, there's different categories. And what and the one you said is definitely a big part of it. Like it's definitely true that, you know, people's tells go down the more comfortable uh, or they have fewer tells, fewer reliable tells the the more they played obviously but yeah i think i think uh it, it's good to think about the different categories of tells because i feel like even even so especially with the get being more relaxed and giving stuff away i mean you can you can find good examples of even very skilled players just being like way too loose and in big pots like from the wsp main event footage where you're where they're just like giving away their level of relaxation in a you know in a way that they should you know most of them should know better but I think I think in a lot of spots like are the excitement or you know the fun of uh, the fun of the situation kind of gets to people a little bit and I think that's the you know the large majority of, of of big bet tells comes from those people that are just giving away their level of physical relaxation a little bit too much. Do you, do you think as you know as you look at like the highest level of the game and I know you've consulted with people that have. Uh, won bracelets and been involved in these these high pressure situations. But I think about like like the best players in the world, quote unquote, um, where it seems like the, the the strategy edge is still is so hyper small. Like you know these guys are looking for every little tiny edge with their GTO or whatever they're exploited to play. Just whatever those those small edges in in the tells world. Do you feel like is there still an edge there to be had at, at that level? And obviously we're, we're focused on recreational players where clearly there's more exploits across the board, whether that's verbal tells, physical tells, the actual strategy. But at that, that higher level, are there still like exploits and are there still margins for value in regard to tells? Or is that like everybody's so robotic now it's. No, I think there's, I think there's more than you would think. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a super high stakes player and I've never claimed to be, I, you know, uh, but I've talked to people that have played those games. Like I've done an interview with Brian Rast and some other players and, uh, you know, some of them tell me some stuff like off the, off the, um, off the record. Cause they obviously it's not to their benefit right. to bring up some of this stuff. Uh, but I've heard enough to know that there are things that, you know, cause when you factor in that, say you have two really, you know, uh, high, uh, really good strategic players like that, that are the best in the game, right. That are from a strategic fundamental strategy standpoint are not giving much of anything, you know, they're, 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 they're going to have large swings because they're basically, you know, neutral EV against each other. Uh, when you factor that in, then 
even like small uh, behavioral clues can make a big difference because if you say, say you have a uh, saying, say two guys are playing heads up live and uh, one guy has a, t- a tell that only is like, you know, n- 60% reliable, you know, versus, you know, it's, uh, it's like slightly more than uh, halfway reliable or, or not being reliable at all. Uh, just that one tell when you add in that they're playing, you know, hundreds of hands or whatever, lots of hands, uh, just that little clue of going one way or another, like thinking like, Oh, he's, uh, you know, taken what I, what I think is a longer period of time to bet than usual on the river. And I think that's going to be strong for him. Or, you know, he stared at his cards a couple seconds, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-flop. And I think that rules out a lot of the stronger hands, like those kind of little clues, even if they're only a little bit reliable, you know, it's the add up over time. So I think when you factor in those kinds of things and, and when you, you know, even, even for multiplayer situations like, uh, cat, you know, catch games of, of various sorts or the final table of a tournament, you know, they, a lot of these guys have played with each other a lot. I mean, it wouldn't be that big a deal if they were like strangers and, uh, then, then it would be hard for them to, uh, you know, reach stuff, uh, reach con- good conclusions. But if you've played with people, uh, the same players a lot, and even over the course of a you know a few hours a day, you're sitting playing a cash game and and Bobby's room or something. You know, like you're going to pick up things that you think are true for somebody. And and I, I think obviously the more skilled the players are, the less true that is. Like it's it's going to become harder and harder to get those things, provided the other person is very skilled. Um, but there's you know people are still looking for those things and they have found those things you know and and especially if you you know factoring in that some of some of the really good players haven't played that much live too you know so that's a that's a factor too so if you know that about an opponent you're probably more likely to really study them and look for something uh, but yeah yeah and just just real quick I know Chris wants to jump in but just kind of a follow up to that point uh, and again see this is this is where I just get free coaching so it's it's all about me see I'm just trying to get insights for my own game but but in regard to like in like regard to strategy one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, I, I have a really poor memory I, I really do and so like I can really think and I can really observe and try to watch betting patterns and I notice things but I don't necessarily retain them in a way that I can bring them back and use them later like I noticed that but now what was it I don't remember what it was and I feel like the same way with tells like I feel like I can notice somebody, oh, they, they took less time there, or it seems like something's going on there. They're fidgety or whatever. And then when it gets to showdown, I realize, oh, they were fidgety when it was a big hand. But then I forget those things. All and right. I hate to even admit that to all the poker world that's going to exploit me. But so I feel like, I don't know if you have any tricks, or is that just, that's just a shortcoming? I can't overcome that. Or like, how, how do I prioritize tells? Or when, when you have that as a shortcoming, how can I utilize observing tells when I can't necessarily remember, oh, I played a tournament three time, three weeks ago, yeah, no, and this guy did that. You know, it's it's tough. I mean, I, you know, it, it's hard to remember all this stuff. I mean, I I can't remember a lot of yeah. this stuff. I, I I take notes if I'm playing uh, in a in a serious game, like say I'm playing in a tournament. I, I, I hardly play any tournaments, but uh, if I'm playing in a in say a WSOP tournament, I would take notes on people, and and I think that's one of the one of the benefits of, of getting more acquainted with tells is like you start realizing what are important things to write down in, in notes and like nobody knows what notes you're taking and that's a nice thing about it you could you know you could be typing texts for all they know you know they don't know you're t- taking <laughs> right. notes on the game so that's nice but you know i i think the benefit of, of learning more about it is you can more easily know what to what is important and so for example like i might you know the thing i like to uh, look 
for a lot is, you know, big bet spots, obviously, because those are the, the, those are, you know, some of the most important tells. So like if somebody's betting on the river, I might say, I might, you know, notice, Oh, he's, he made a lot of back and forth eye contact with his opponent, you know, and he ended up being strong. And like, that's really important information, you know um, you know, ideally you'd like to see it when he has a weekend, but considering that a lot of recreational players have the pattern of like making, you know, more loose eye contact with people when they're strong, I'm going to probably, I'm going to assume that's probably true for him mm. unless I see otherwise, just because it's, it's such a common pattern. They're, you know, they're looser, they're more willing to interact with people when they're relaxed. Um, so I think, uh, there's, there's definitely no shame in, in writing notes. Cause I mean, there's so much information to remember, you know, and, and it's like, if I was doing it in my phone, I would put each player at the table and I would take notes on them. Like it might be a section for fundamental strategy for each player. It might be a section for, uh, behavior for each player. And I might just say like, Oh, you know, a lot of, a lot of eye contact with strong hand or whatever. And then it just allows me like hours later to like quickly review a few notes I took it doesn't mean you have to write down everything. It's just things that you think are important. Um, and, and obviously there's so much behavior that, and, and strategy stuff that goes on. And you're, you're just going to be capturing the things that crop up to you is important. But I think that is the skill in, in understanding it better because you can, otherwise you might be like, well, what, what would I even write down from that hand? Like, you know, right. uh, I, you know, what, what, yeah, what's, what's, what's worth remembering what's worth noting, you know? Well, that's, that's super helpful because I think, I think that's it because I think about, oh, writing notes on strategy, but writing notes on tells and then doing the study off the felt is something else you can study off the felt. That's a, that's a good gap closer uh, for me as well. I mean, that's how I, that's how I got interested in tells. I'd say like if I had to pinpoint like what led me to writing these books, it was in college when I was, I was studying up poker games in college and I was taking notes on my friends like when we played. You know, we were only <laughs> planned for, you know, we, we ended up like raising the stakes over time. But it was like, I think at the peak, we were playing for like, you know, people were buying for like a hundred dollars over the course of the night in a cash game. And, you know, which was pretty good stakes for college. And yeah, I, I had this notebook where I was taking notes on everybody's tells. And I mean, that, that I'd say that alone was responsible for me years later, you know, uh, hmm. deciding to write the books, you know, when I, when I got more serious about it and played for a living and stuff, I was like the, that kind of background, but it it, it was you know, especially if you have a home game, I mean, that, that kind of, that's a good way in, you know, because you, you know, you know, the people you're playing with them uh, a lot. And it's, it's also not, you know, it's such a relaxed environment uh, that, you know, it's, it's, you should just think of it as like a training ground for paying more attention to people, you know? Yeah. Well, especially when I know that this whole crew is paying attention to me and they all know my tells and I don't know any of theirs. Speaking of which, Rob, what you got anything, Rob? Uh, you're muted right now, Rob. You sound it. You sound skied it, Rob. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to, first, I'm going to take you off the hook a little bit, Steve, because you talk a lot outside of playing in the hand. But then I guess I do. Hand, you kind of just focus on that hand, and you're not, you're not actually giving away as much as you think. Oh, good. No matter if, you're, if it's a good hand or a bad hand, I, I don't know that anybody can tell. But once the hand's over, or you're not committed to the hand, then you start you know, doing your Steve thing. <laughs> which is talking a lot. <laughs> um, thanks. <laughs> so I'm taking you off the hook there a little bit. All right. Thank you. No, that's, that's helpful. No, no problem. <laughs> now in this day of, of social distancing, you know, we're, everybody's playing a lot more online poker. Uh, obviously there's no verbal tells. There's no facial tells. You can't tell what they're doing with their hands. You can't see if they're looking down at their chips when they see the flop. Um, 
is there anything, I mean, I'm basically the only thing you really have is timing tells, right? Mm -hmm. Or potentially bet sizing tells. That would be mm -hmm. probably the only thing you have in online poker. I don't know if anybody's discussed that with you or not, or if you've ever thought of that or not. I was just mm -hmm. curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, definitely, you know, pretty much bet timing. And I'll go into more on that. Uh, I think the, uh, I don't, for the sake of defining uh, tells, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't consider bet timing as like behavioral tells. So I don't, I've never really written about it. I, I think it's, it's definitely like an important area, but I kind of, I kind of class it under the, like the basic strategy, kind of exploitative strategy stuff. But uh, as far as the bet timing, uh, there's really, the, the main things online are for bet timing are the immediate actions. And the, the reason being like the delayed actions, stuff that takes a while could be taking a while for any reason. Like they're using the bathroom or whatever, you know, um, peeing in their bottle or whatever. But the, uh, <laughs> the immediate actions are, are meaningful because obviously they can't, they're not faking those. They are actually, you know, they're, 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 they're definitely happening happening immediately. Unlike the delayed ones, which could be due to various reasons. And so, um, so when it comes to the immediate actions, you know, you've got the immediate, uh, immediate calls, which are going to tend to equal, you know, medium strength, um, hand strengths, because, you know, some, uh, someone's not going to usually with strong hands, they're going to think about calling, like whether they should raise or what they should do. So it's, it's pretty rare. Somebody like snap calls, uh, like on the flop, for example, with a, uh, with a strong hand. Uh, it can also be it can also be good for weeding down, uh, narrowing down people's ranges preflop too, because a common pattern is like somebody raising, getting three bet, and then them snap calling, which will tend for your recreational players to equal like around like jacks or even queens or something. Because with a bunch, most of the other hand strengths, they're going to think about what to do. You know, they're going to think about re-raising and they're going to think about you know folding or whatever. Uh, that's a pretty common pattern. Um, so you, yeah, you got the, you've got the snap bets or snap calls. Uh, and those are also interesting too, cause they can also help you, um, rule out, uh, for, for certain kinds of players, like more aggressive players, you can, a snap call can on the flop can help you rule out like, you know, uh, uh, a flush draw, like a, a strong flush draw, for example, like some, if somebody's snap called a bet on the flop with, and the flop has two hearts. And, and they snap call, it's pretty unlikely that they have like, you know, an ace high flush draw or, or a high flush draw in general, because if they're aggressive at all, if they're, if they're decent at all, they're, they're usually going to at least think about raising that spot, even if they don't end up raising. So there's a lot of board texture stuff that can, that can be a factor there. Um, let's see. So other than that, I'd say like, it, and then, then bet timing for, for actual bets being made or, or th those are much harder to read into, but I'd say like for big bets, uh, the, the most, you know, the main thing we can say about big bets when they happen quickly is that it's a pretty polarizing spot, right? It's like they, it's unlikely they're going to bet quickly with like their medium strength hand range where they're, they would have to think about whether they want to value bet or not. So it, it's very polarizing to very weak and obvious bluff or very strong and obvious value bet. and. Um, I'd say for, you know, that it can be very player specific and can vary a good amount. Uh, but I'd say like the, the one tip there would be uh, someone who's someone who has shown capability uh, of bluffing a good amount and being on the more amateur side 
uh, cannot, there's often a pattern of like them feeling like they've kind of painted themselves into a corner and like bluffing really quickly on the river. Uh, and, it, and so it tends to skew towards bluffs. And it's also because players with strong hands like to at least give a, they like to give a little bit of science, uh, display of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And that usually is them waiting a little bit to bet a strong hand. So for those reasons, the quick, the quick bets, you know, on the river for later in the hand on the river or whatever, tend to skew towards bluffs, even if it's like a, a slight skew. Cause then there are the players that will never be bluffing at all. And they're just going to, you know, be betting their strong hands almost always quickly like that. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that that pretty much sums up a lot of the, the bet timing stuff. That seems very consistent with what I've seen. We're, like I say, we've been playing a lot more online poker lately. So we're seeing a lot more of these types of activities or actions that people take. So I definitely see what you're saying. And one thing I've noticed, if, if somebody uses almost all of their time and then put out a bet. Oh yeah, They're generally pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another one. When you can, when you can, uh, when you think someone has has you know taken an extraordinary, unusually uh, a long time to bet, that is a good sign that they're that they're value betting there too. Because bluffers t- not don't want to bluffers want to act in normal t- normal time frames, uh, and that usually is like whatever the the average time frame is for for a bet. Yeah, so it is a good tip. Yeah, uh, even for even for online, which you know, it's it's going to skew towards for towards strong hands for sure. Even even taking into account that they might have like you know be doing something else or multi labeling or something, it's it is still a good tell. Yeah, yep. interesting. Well, Thank Chris, you. did you have a Chris? You have a, a final question for for Zach before we wrap up? Well, I was I was just curious about so like in terms of like our evaluation and taking notes on things and um, what do we do with behaviors that we observe where we don't get confirmation like so we start Mm. to see people do certain kinds of things in certain kinds of ways and certain kind of budding header but the but it never goes to showdown so Mm -hmm. we see somebody well they're shuffling their chips a different way and maybe they're getting aggressive here but i'm not sure what that is Do, do we have to see do we need confirmation in order to be able to do anything with that behavioral sort of stuff or is there stuff we can actually use that with before until we get that confirmation yeah it's a great it's a great question um Obviously, like knowing the hands are ideal, but yeah, like you said, there's plenty of spots where you might go, you know, hours without seeing somebody's hand or something, a specific person's hand. I think there are things that you can take into account, like, um, for example, the the likelihood of someone, um, you know, know, knowing that most most big bets are value bets, and knowing that um, uh, knowing that most most hands in general are you know, before, before the, before the river, knowing that most hands in general or towards the medium strength or weak side, uh, knowing those kind of statistical things, I think can help because, uh, so for example, one, one example would be from the world series of poker main event from, uh, 2011, where I was watching the final table, the heads up portion of that, uh, the main event. And, I was watching, you know, without the, they didn't have the whole cards until after the hand was shown. And I was watching uh, P.S. Hines and he had this standard thing of, you know, always staring at his opponent. You know, he was trying to do this consistent thing of always staring at his, his, his opponent. Uh, and then like, so he was, he was aggressive raising a lot pre-flop. And then one hand I noticed he, he didn't raise or he didn't, he didn't look at his opponent. He was looking down a lot. 
And I was like, oh, okay, well, if we know that most hands, you know, most hands are preflop, especially are on the weaker medium strength range. And, and now he's acting differently. I was like, oh, I think this is a good sign. He's got a aces or kings. And, uh, and then sure enough, he, you know, he was doing the same thing on the flop too, looking down uh, and sure enough, he had pocket aces. And that was a good example of, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good example in a, in a nutshell of like, uh, picking up a clue of, of someone acting in a, in a standard way and then being like, well, if we know that it's, it's less likely that he has a strong hand then, then his change is probably equated to him getting a strong hand. And another example of that is like, you know, being in a, in a, in a tournament um, and watching the players behind you and you see a player behind you like pretty loose, physically loose than most hands and they're just doing the normal thing. And then all of a sudden you look to your left and they look at their cards and they're just like completely stoic, right? <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, they've probably picked up a big hand. Uh, and, and there's, so there's clues like that, but I think, and then for, for applying that to like river big bet situations, you know, remembering that um, it's actually reversed there because most people are betting with strong hands when they make a big bet, you know, the, the bluffs are less common. Um, so, you know, for example, that, that would mean, you know, if I saw, you know, your, your average who, uh, player who I deem to be an average recreational player making a, a big bet on the river, and I would be operating under the assumption that the behaviors I see were with a strong hand, unless I had information to, to the contrary. So even though I watched that player, like say I watched them, you know, play two hands where they made big bets on the turn of the river or whatever. And I, and I, and I thought that their behavior seemed pretty loose physically. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to operate on the assumption that that's probably uh, strong hand behavior. I, I wouldn't necessarily act on it, but I'm going to keep it in mind as, as a theory, as a, as a hypothesis until I see it, that disproven. Right. So it kind of just helps it, me keep it in mind. And then when, so then I, then I can maybe confirm it later in a way when I see them bluffing and they're much different acting in a different way. Um, but yes, but to your point though, it's hard, it's harder to act on that information until you've confirmed it in some way. But then again, if you're on the fence in a spot, you might use it regardless because if you think it's liable to be a bit, you know, more reliable than not, like say I have my hypothesis about this guy who I have seen bet twice and I thought it was likely he had a strong hand and I, you know, if I, if I, if I'm in a hand with them later, even if I haven't verified it and I, and I see him acting in ways that I think are like stoic or nervous or whatever, when he's betting, uh, then, then I might act on it, even knowing it's not a, you know, not, not a great, it, there's not a lot of data behind it, but it's also like better than no data. If I feel like I'm kind of on the fence, you know, in that, that spot anyway. And I think a lot, a lot of these tells behavioral kind of stuff is, is most valuable when you are on the fence. It's like, cause I, th- I think we're on the fence a lot when we're playing decent players. No, and that's and that's what a lot of skilled players have told me too. They're like the the main benefit of these things is when when you're when you're feeling in those spots where, you know, as happens to us a lot, we feel like um, this could go this could go either way. Um, yeah. So I, I think the the key takeaway for me from this whole conversation is if we we ever have the opportunity to be in the same place at the same time, uh, I want to take you to lunch and just have you tell me what you see. <laughs> Just tell me what you notice, like, like just to well, be inside your brain and kind of, I know it's not, it's outside poker, but just it, it's got to be this kind of this continual, I picture this like a continual self-entertainment thing, like what you're noticing about people's behavior. I mean, I've always, uh, I, I do like, I've always liked reading, you know, if I, if I had to, speaking of the real world stuff, uh, it, it led, that led to that too, because of my dad, 
my dad actually indexed psychology books. He was like a back of the book indexer hmm. for various academic books. And like, he wasn't into psychology himself, but he had all these books laying around. So I used to read them when I was a kid. That's, I think that's one of the reasons I got into this stuff. It was just like, I would, I was reading these like obscure, you know, uh, books about psychology and I, and I, and he had some Freud books too about like the uh, path of psychology of everyday life where Freud like breaks down like everyday things and says like, here's the hidden meaning in them. Hmm. Like that kind of stuff. I've always been interested in that stuff. And I think, you know, that was a big factor in me getting into poker tells too. Uh, Oh, I was going to say, you might be interested. I don't know if you guys play, um, when you play, have you been playing like through Zoom and on like, are you using an online app to play poker and then watching each other on Zoom too? Uh, not, n- we've been doing some weird, interesting things with that, but not, a, not, uh, not talking while we play to each other on Zoom. Yeah, I thought that would be interesting because I know people are yeah. doing that and I was kind of, uh, I thought it'd be a fun thing to do during the quarantine stuff is, is, is videotape that and see if you could, you know, see what you could find on that because uh, it's such a unique you know, thing that people don't usually do. So yeah, we're we're playing with some different tools to to do some cool things, but we haven't yet. At least I haven't done that. Play, you know, playing live and then just adding the the you know kind the, of the, the app, the live yeah. in person component. Yeah, we tried we tried to do that recently. We I, we couldn't get it working. I tried to do that with some friends, like use an app. I think we yeah. were trying to use a few and couldn't get them working. And and then also like watch each other on Zoom too. But yeah, that would yeah. be fun. Yeah. Well, well, Zach, I think, you know, obviously I could, I could talk to you for about six hours and then, you know, each of these guys could probably do another hour and a half, but unfortunately we don't have an entire weekend seminar. So we're going to, we're going to start to wrap it up here, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about where people can find you, where they could connect with you. I mean, uh, I know, you know, reading poker tells, uh, verbal poker tells, exploiting poker tells, but now we have the podcast, people who read, people who read people, is that what it is? But, you know, how do people connect with you if they want to hear more? Yeah, um, I've got those books you mentioned, and then I've got the uh, the video series, which uh, you can learn about that and watch samples at readingpokertells.video. And then I have my main site is readingpokertells.com and uh, have all the products on there. And, and then they're on Amazon, too, for, for paperback, paperback uh, versions. Uh, yeah, and the, and the podcast, you can find that on iTunes or any platform. It's on, it's on Spotify, People Who Read People. Uh, if you have any ideas for shows, I, I'd like to hear them because sometimes people send me some some pretty cool ideas, and I'll I'll give you a shout out if you send me a good idea. Um, but yeah, yeah, other than that, that's that's pretty much it. I'm on Twitter too. If you everyone ask a question, it's um, that my handle is a poker player. Yeah, on there. Yeah, yeah. So you heard them, guys. You know, give them give them some ideas. If you got some good thoughts on on ideas for the podcast or whatever, uh, send them to him, man. Let's, let's go. Let's support our, our fellow podcasters out there that are making it happen. And, you know, I see your media stuff. I see a lot of cool things happening in your world and hopefully you're enjoying uh, the ride as well. Uh, even though we're kind of in the midst of this weird sort of life situation, but Zach, let's hopefully it won't be another 144 episodes before we get you back on, but uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I appreciate the insight, especially as, as a recreational player who is looking for those, those edges uh, it's, it's certainly thanks, a, a thanks, great Steve. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks for all the good questions and, and best of luck with the podcast. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. All right. Thanks, man. Well, we're going to, we're going to stay on here and clean up some things. So you're, you're welcome to stay on if you really want to be excited. Otherwise feel free to jump off and we'll catch you next time. Okay. I'll, I'll drop off. Nice yep. seeing you all. All right. all right. See ya. All right, guys. Well, uh, what, what kind of feedback do we got? I thought that was a fantastic discussion. What do you guys think and what's rolling around in the head of yours? Well, yeah, I like the I like the way he uh, he approaches that stuff. I just uh, it's 
you know, he, none of those poker, none of those tells are really necessarily true unless you see it over and over and over again. So I think when we're playing, I mean, there might be certain people you play with that running aces all the time that you could, put, if you could remember, you could get, uh, <laughs> like Andrew, uh, you could get a feel for their behavioral patterns and what they mean. Uh, but when you come into it, like if you go to it, let's say you go to the World Series of Poker and you play in a, you know, a, an event there, you're going to play with a whole bunch of people that you don't know. So you're not going to be able to necessarily pick up on specific tells, but there's generalizations of behaviors like that feeling comfortable, like that feeling nervous the, the, that can give you a tip that might, like he said, you could be on that edge of either yes or no. And that one little thing is going to make the difference to whether you call or fold or raise, right? Yeah, that's so well said. That's what we're doing in the strategy side is taking these these generalizations, right? People don't bet their medium strength hands, and we sort of extrapolate that into what their hand ranges are, and to to, to apply the same sort of generalizations, at least until proven otherwise, to to tells. I think it's very well said, Rob. I think that's an area of growth for me, big time. John, did you have something? Uh, I think it was great. It's, I always love. Here, listening to him talk, I've heard him on a number of podcasts and uh, read his books, and it's always useful stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize it's been so long since we had him on. <laughs> it's been way too yeah. long. Oh, before some of your guys' time, you guys are like, I didn't know we ever had him on because it wasn't we weren't involved at that point. So yeah, it's it's he, he he's been a good a good friend of the show too. And um, even when we were doing the charity tournaments, the All in for Africa charity tournaments, he would donate books, and so. Uh, real stand-up guy as, as far as our partnership is concerned. Well, with, with that, let's let's quick. Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, breaking news today, or whatever that, that noise might be. Uh, I think Chris broke it to me, but uh, the World Series of Poker uh, postponed. Uh, now I didn't read the full article, so I'm looking for one of you guys. Kind of what's the maybe Chris? What's the the update on that? Is it is it canceled? Is it postponed? What what do you know? For now, it's postponed. Uh, no dates set, but they've said uh, fall, so it's not going to happen in summer. Um, and it's going to include probably not all of the events uh, as they're currently planning, but uh, some of the major events. So, like they'll have the Poker Players Championship. They'll have the main event, obviously, um, a few others. But they were pretty pretty limited in what they're saying it'll be and they won't even there's not even really a timing and not even really a place name so it's not mm. necessarily the rio um but i would i would assume it, you know that that's at least probably what they're working with but you know there's a lot of convention space in vegas i don't know what what that would mean but well and all the all the conventions and seminars that are getting postponed right, i mean there's just right. not going to be space for all the things that people want to happen Yep. Yeah, Vegas is known as the biggest convention city in the world. So there's more conventions held in Las Vegas than any other city. So is that right? Is that yeah? yeah. So trying to find space for something get, gets postponed when everything else is getting postponed. I, I can't imagine the the logistics of that. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. Well, um, they're going to run just into two. Oops, sorry, John. They should go ahead, Andrew. Too, if, if it's not at the Rio, that is the best place currently in Vegas because the parking. They have such a big parking lot, and right. people that live locally that are going to go there, 
that's where they're going to drive to. So if it's not there, it's going to be a nightmare for cars and parking. If you're not, if you're going to have to drive there or have to park there. Well, and it's just a huge thing logistically. What, you know, I was skeptical at first, if they were going to postpone it, would they be able to fit it in? Because a lot of that space is rented out year round. The Rio is, is rented fairly regularly. However, with everything that's going on, a lot of things are getting canceled or scaled back. And a number of things are not going to try to reschedule this year. They'll just skip this year yeah. and move on to next year. Uh, whereas they definitely at least want to hold the, the main event this year. I mean, I unless this drags on throughout the end of December, um, I think they'll do everything in their power to, at a minimum, hold the main event. Yeah, what, what's your guys' take on that? Let's say, I mean, I don't know that it'll happen or not, but let's just assume it's going to happen. But we're still sort of, you know, the, we're in the tailing off portion of this whole thing. Like, I just, I'm so curious what numbers they would get because I think there's there's two competing forces. There's this force of all of us who are like just dying to play live again. Like, oh, I just miss playing poker. And then there's the, yeah, but I don't really want to get sick. And well, so it's maybe like- it's my best interest to skip this year. I'm curious. You just said it. You said they're dying to play poker. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> yes. So uh, you just said it right there. There's going to be a lot of people that are, no matter what, are going to say, okay, well, I think I'll just skip it. Well, where you know, would you guys be? things are totally done. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of people, because that is just an environment that... Oh. They actually say we're a World Series of Poker flu, and some people get it every year, and they call it a legit flu because just there's so much going around. Yeah, a ton of yep. people get sick after the World Series. Yeah. Well, I heard someone – I can't take credit for this. Oh, I think it was Chad Holloway on one of his podcasts. He said, you know, casinos are basically land on cruise so, you know, you look at all of the disease that are spread on cruise ships and the precautions yeah. they need to take there. And with poker, the way, I mean, it's just in uh, a breeding ground for sharing all sorts of <laughs> bugs the, in the best of circumstances. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen some of the, uh, they've, they've published some of these, the casinos sort of approaches to potentially reopening, whether that would be in, you know, June or whenever they're going to try to figure out how to reopen them. And the section on poker, I don't know if you've seen those. Some people have shared some of this documents about it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, it doesn't seem like they understand how the game works. Like they're saying like, there will be uh, every other table will be empty and every other seat will be empty. And there will be like, Every time the player leaves, they'll have they. It'll be mandatory that that the staff or the tournament director or whatever the floor cleans the area where they were. the The cards will be replaced all the time and have to be cleaned. All the seats and all the cup holders and everything have to be cleaned every time a player changes. But think about that from like a tournament, right? Where you're being moved constantly. Yeah. What can we only have four people at every table? Um, you know, it, it just the way that they're talking about. <laughs> this doesn't really make sense with the way we've typically played the game of poker in a yeah. card room. Well, and so if you I, think about it, the, the dealers are rotating around the tables too. So it doesn't really do you any good when there's a dealer at one table, then going to the one next to you. And so now everybody you've been in contact with that dealer is now getting in contact with on the right. next table. It's, it's just kind of a headache that 
I don't know if that's that's the legitimate way to do it. Well, I think what they'll have to do is, in addition to have the automatic card shuffler, they'll have to have like a washing machine right next to it. So every time a pot is awarded, the chips all get thrown into the washing machine. You give it a quick wash and dry, and then you give give them out. So you know, I like and, that. And kind of like uh, they, the go- golf ball thing at the golf, yes. at the golf course. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The ball washer. Yeah, the ball. And, washer. and the automatic <laughs> shufflers would have to be uh, card sanitizers as well. Yeah. So there you go. See, he's a man of solutions. He's like, why are we sitting here? Why just talk about it? Let's come up with solutions. <laughs> we, we got chip washers on the table. Well, yeah, going back to, to, go ahead. Going no, go back ahead. to the WSOP, they, um, they have said that it seems like a few more tournaments are going to be played online, so it's going to be on their software. Well, that isn't available a lot of places. Right. A buddy of mine actually texted me today saying, do you just want to go somewhere in Nevada and just hunker down in a hotel room and play online tournaments for world series you know i mean that's that's an option you could just come and sanitize your hotel room wherever you are doesn't have to be in vegas yeah yeah and just play online there because you can yeah no i mean that's what people people have asked me about that because i know we were starting to put together a our our trip to vegas and people like oh can we do a rec poker trip and you know we had this whole big idea let's put it on hold and now they're like well can we all go out there and like get a house and (laughs) quarantine ourselves for three weeks together and and do that sort of thing right and part of me's like yeah, let's go, you know, but yeah, I mean, we're all just dying to play, right? I mean, this, I, I turned 50 here in, in about a week and I was so excited to play the senior tournament for the first time out in Vegas. And so like, ah, oh, personally, I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. How can we make this happen? You know, but, but it is what it is, man. If this is our, our biggest issue is that, you know, we might not get to play the poker tournaments we want. It's, you know, that, that's a pretty good spot to be in, but it's man, the people that actually have to deal with the questions and the, the planning yeah. and all that stuff. What a nightmare. But yeah, Chris, it's so got to be interesting. Go you know, they draw in so many poker players or so many dealers rather yeah. to deal to all of the poker players. And a bunch of those aren't just sitting around without a job the rest of the year. They're asking for time off from their local casino or local jobs. Mm-hmm. So now that's got to be coordinated in. Um, but I don't know what, people's job situation is going to be after that will be harder or easier to get dealers. It's, it's a very interesting problem uh, to, to watch. And I don't mean to minimize that or minimize the pain that everyone has, but it, it, there are so many moving parts in all of this, everything. Um, and you know, the world series of poker is one relatively small piece (laughs) of what the country has, logistically it seems near impossible to be doing what they're doing. I mean, it take, they start working on this year's world series the week after the last one concludes and it takes them the full time to get it, uh, an operation this big up and running. Yeah. And and you know, the the money, I mean, I don't know the money, but it has to be huge because it'd be so easy to just say, you know, Hey, we're just, let's just scrap this year and go to next year. Right. I mean, that's, the, the obvious easy thing to do, but there's just got to be so much money involved. And, and like you said, jobs and prestige. And I mean, all of this stuff that they can't just say, no, let's just wait till next year. Right. Man. The, the other thing I've been thinking about this too, and I, you know, I don't want to get too much into like the, the politics of it all, but like, you know, I think it's very unlikely that we'll have sort of a vaccine or a, you know, a, a treatment that's really going to be highly effective by say September 1st. Um, but I think we, it is potentially possible that we will have 
uh, more reliable, quicker acting testing at that point. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I have about if you want to run a large scale event like this, would you actually have to require people to be tested before yeah. they could sort of plunk down their 10 K and play in the main event? And is, you know, like, how do you, I mean, or, I mean, it just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's well, right. crazy to think about it. Right. Well, cause some of those players are going to say, I'm not going to play unless everybody's tested too. So it's sort of a, it's a requirement, but it also is going to make some people feel more comfortable to play if right. they know everybody's right. been tested. Yep. Yep. Well, Jonesy, why don't you get to work on that? I know you don't have much going on these days. You're kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you seem like you have some spare time. Why don't you go ahead yeah. and plan, plan that? You and Southie event. can get together. Yeah. We'll have yeah. automatic testing, and we'll no, have I, do, I do not envy them as somebody who's you know <laughs> basically I plan a much uh, sco- smaller scale events, and uh, boy, uh, I do not envy that that process yeah. for them. Another well, you're, thing you're you well to, prepared for this, then. Another thing you have to think about is they have six to seven thousand people right every year for the main event, and how many people are going to be traveling in from out right. of the country? if they even can in some, in some countries, they might not even be allowed to come in. Right. So, you know, they will be lucky to get 3000 people just, you know, just for the people that are willing to actually, you know, you know, risk that environment. If they got 3000 people in the fall, even I'd be surprised. Well, and that's part of the reason that they, the WSOP has had pressure put on them in the last couple of weeks because, you know, we're about a month away from when the first tournament would have happened. So people were saying, I got a flight. Am I going to cancel it? Am I going to make a flight? Am I going to make plans? What, what's going to happen? So I think that's why they decided to do it before May actually hit. Mm-hmm. So, No, for sure. Well, it's, uh, it's good to chat about. And if, so if you haven't heard about this yet, it just broke today monday april 20th and we're releasing this tomorrow so uh if, if you haven't heard about this check it out uh, the articles are out there and all over the place now by tomorrow they'll be they'll be all over the place everybody's perspective on what that is but yeah chris thanks for bringing it to my attention thanks for bringing it up here uh tonight so let, let's move on i know we're, we're getting close to, we're getting past time already but uh let's talk a little bit about our, our home games uh which you guys know continue to roll on we got our our regular two monthly tournaments and we got something going on every night. So Mr. Somsky, why don't you uh, fill us in what's going on there? Yeah, of course we have uh, our two series that we have the no limit Hold'em series. The next event is May 6th, Wednesday at 8 PM central time. And then on May 13th, we are playing limit Omaha eight. <laughs> and there is a video available for that. You can check out the home games tab or look on YouTube, search for it. Uh, and you'll find a brief little introduction video. You know, I've been calling these introduction to, this one was introduction to Limit Omaha in 10 minutes or less. And of course the video is 12 minutes long. Yeah, that just shows you, I do not take measure time very well. (laughs) Or or is it, I mean, I've never played this. Does it mean it's a really complicated game or what? Uh, it's just, I wanted to include, uh, a bunch of examples, more examples than normal, uh, particularly for the most common, uh, people have a lot of trouble reading their hands. They forget that they can only, they you must use exactly two cards from mm. their hand and three cards from the board in Omaha. And because it's a high, low split game that added a little bit into it as well. And, um, I'm trying to speak more clearly and slowly. So, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, and I just like to listen to myself speak. You see, I drone <laughs> on and on. I never know when to shut up. And that's that why we button? ended up. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, ser- okay. I mean, yeah, point of seriousness, though, thank you for doing those. I mean, I've watched all of them uh, as, as before I play, and they're, they're super helpful. So if you're not taking advantage of that, it's just out on our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free. Uh, check it out, and then come play the, the tournament with us and see if possibly anybody can beat Mike Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. That. Yeah, we don't want that. Let's, let's go by Patrick. Hey, John, as yep. as you know, I'm uh, not going to learn anything about these new games until the cards are in the air. And I've had some success in some of the earlier ones, but based on what you've just said, I give I give myself <laughs> zero chance on this one. Does we Please. think that's a fair assessment? Because I'm not allowed to watch your excellent primer video, but just based on that, I think. Uh, uh, coming in as a beginner is going to be tough for this one. After about three orbits, I think you're going to get the hang of it. So I only normally last about two orbits. Yeah, so just play every hand, Jim. Figure it out. Yeah, so if you can, if you can make it to the third orbit, I think you've got a chance. So, well, well, the first time you get quartered, you'll really understand the game. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. A, that <laughs> sounds wrong. Or fifth, get... or yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's uh, some. all right okay yeah it's it's one of the few games you can have the nuts and yet lose money on the hand so anyway Uh, it's gonna be fun i'm excited (laughs) so uh let's talk about the social distancing series on april 13th frogman rick who is rick Rick? Rick, raising daisy april 14th we had witchy stuff. Leda Ligari. Ligari. Yeah, oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Yeah. Uh, won that one. So hopefully, also, I want to apologize to everyone for all of the mispronunciations of the <laughs> names, but just know that I'm giving you credit and uh, don't blame me for my bad pronunciation. Can you, can you somehow botch the next name on the list? Yeah. The, April 15th was Bluff Storini, <laughs> which was Jim Riyad. <laughs> asterisk. Yeah, Jim Reed, our very own Jim <laughs> yeah. Reed. Run Put an asterisk. Uh, yeah, asterisk. That, one, <laughs> that one does have a little bit of an asterisk because uh, Poker Stars was having issues. We, there were so many people wanting to play the home game, we brought the server down. It crashed <laughs> their entire server. So Steve, then, uh, Steve is Steve is killing me right now. I crave yeah. that pin. I must have the pin. I'm showing the bronze pin that Jim does not get. I do not well, qualify. Rub it in, guys. Win. Keep it. Let's keep talk- no, talking about it. Let's keep talking about how I'm not going. I started the, the because that game didn't go. I started another one at an hour later, and if anyone else would have won that tournament, I would have argued that they should get. Oh that yeah. Pin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I guess since it's Jim, he doesn't. That's correct. Okay. I'm, I'm good with that. Yep. Just we're on the same page. <laughs> so th- then I think we, we have... established last week that Steve can mute my microphone, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, then on April 16th and April 17th, we have a back-to-back yes. uh, feat where Keto Man 335 Kian... Teva Coley won two nights in a row. Nice job. Then on April 18th, Monkey System Keith <laughs> Brandt won. And last night, April 19th, T-Land 19, Tony it's actually, it's actually Tory. Tory. Yep. Tory. Tory. Way to go, guys. I must have uh, typed that wrong. 
I might have typed it wrong too. Let's blame me. Yeah, I, it's probably my fault though. No, <laughs> asterisk. No, yeah. some great, some great players out there. Some I know, some I don't know. But I've gotten to know a little, a few of them just through the process, through the chatting of me constantly being out there saying, "Who are you out here? Who is this?" <laughs> You get to know people that way too. So. How did I miss the Canadian content coming through here? Way to go, my another Maple Bro repping in the uh, Rec Poker Nation. Now Lita, Lita's a gal. Oh, even better! There yeah, we go. Right? That's what we like to see. Yeah. Well, thank you, John, for all the work on that. I know you put a ton of time into that. I appreciate that a ton. Good stuff. Everybody's having a blast out there, Mister Jonesy. Yeah, just really quickly, um, in member land on Wednesday, the April 22nd, uh, 8 p.m., we have our member Q&A coming up. And just uh, if you're listening right as we release this uh, the next day. Uh, And then coming up in May, our member topic is going to be, we're going to focus on uh, ICM tournament stages and MTTs. So I know this is going to be a really uh popular mtt's multi-table tournament so i know it's gonna be a really popular one and a lot of people are interested in how do i approach different stages of the tournaments how do i uh you know both you know figure out times to be aggressive and times to not be and how do i change my play based on where i am in a tournament uh and we're gonna have a lot of conversation around that so i'm I'm excited for that huge any andrew anything to share from a, a learning partner's perspective uh, just that we will have a, a couple promotions coming up in the next couple of weeks here. So keep your eye on the uh, resources page and also we'll let you know through the podcast too. But yeah, keep an eye on that page and there will be some, some things coming up here in the next few weeks. Awesome. And we just recently did the, the learning with partners thing that Andrew led. If you're a member, check that out. Some great stuff. We're continuing to look at engineering that to bring as much possible great premium content to our members for free uh, on behalf of our other partners. So great stuff, Andrew. Thanks for Thanks for all your work uh, on that stuff. So uh, with that, unless there's anything else uh, from the illustrious panel, I just want to encourage you guys, go to rec.poker. A lot of the stuff we talked about is out there, all of the stuff about home games, our partnerships, the membership. It's all out there, rec.poker. If you have any questions, uh, get in touch with us. Uh, We will for sure uh, respond right away and answer any questions that you have. But uh, once again, thanks to Zach Elwood, fantastic guest. Time just flew by. Thanks to Andrew, John, Jim, Chris, Rob. Fantastic panel. Always a great time. And we will catch you next week.